Mr. Cole will give you a copy. So if you do not have a fact sheet, please put your hand up. We'll get you one. Uh, it is the broad outline of what Dave and I are going to talk about this morning. Uh, the topic that we have is one that I've never talked about. Uh, it's possibly going to be some words and some definitions you've never heard before, but what you have seen is the results of these things. This is not something. Dave is going to talk about some governmental things because everything that happens in the world eventually gets to political and government. But I can tell you, this is in the church. It is in schools. It is in places of business. These things are being taught in places of business. They are in your curriculum of your public school. They are definitely been in colleges since the mid-80s. Uh, and so these things are not new. But uh, it is just getting to the point where I got convicted. We need to talk about it. And because Dave has uh, a background in the political arena, and he still works a little in that direction, but for a different uh, direction, um, I've asked him to join me, and I'll be asking him some questions, and he will be responding. If you look at the top of your sheet, you're going to see a few, ver a few verses there, uh, and I just want to let you know, this is not about politics, it's about principle, even though you will hear some political things. But in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 15, it says this, you shall, sh sh shall yeah. Let me start over. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great. But you shall judge your neighbor fairly. The Bible is very clear. People are to be treated equally. If you're wrong, you're wrong. Doesn't matter who you are. If you're right, you're right. Doesn't matter who you are. That's the whole idea here, in judgment or in any other way. What we're going to talk about today is something that's very horrible because with a very broad brush, it says there's only two kinds of people in the world, the oppressor and the oppressed. Individuals don't matter in this. doesn't matter who you are, you'll, you'll hear what I have to say. In fact, as I can back that up by many scriptures, this is just one of them. Jeremiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote that, uh, you've heard it said that the fathers ate sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. In other words, something happened a generation or two before you and the results are to you. You ate something sour and the children are the ones that pay the price. He says, no, 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 this is how it's going to be. But everyone will die for his own iniquity. Each Man who eats sour grapes, his teeth will be set on edge. In other words, sin has consequences. What you sow, that's what you also reap. One last one. We're going to talk about, and it's going to be nearer the end of the sermon, we're going to talk about that God created all of us, and he created us equal. But in Christ, and that's our message, in Christ, people are absolutely equal. What does it say? There is neither Jew nor Greek. That's race. There's neither slave nor free. That's poverty or wealth. And there's neither male nor female. And that's a biggie today. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
doesn't mean we're the same, but it means we are equal in Christ. God created us equal, but we have a message that goes beyond the divisions of today. If you don't think this is real, I encourage you, please listen with an open mind uh, before you make up any decisions. And then I encourage you, if you don't like what we have to say up here, please go research it for yourself. You're going to find out we're just giving you the tiny bit of the, the tip of the iceberg, if you will. So with that as a background, I want to give a few definitions. And uh, we're going to talk with, and these three, uh, critical theory, critical race theory, and intersectionality, I do that every time, <laughs> uh, are all related to each other. This is the granddaddy of all of them, critical theory. Here's what it is. It is a Marxist, which means it's all about classes of people, class warfare, class struggle. And it's totally secular, and its people are only of two classes, the oppressor and the oppressed. In socialism and communism, uh, there is that big class. Everybody's the same. They're all equally poor and all equally oppressed, except for the ruling class. And they are totally different than the rest. But this is where critical theory comes from. Doesn't come from the Bible, that's for sure. But it purports to reveal the, and you've heard this, if you listen to the news at all, systemic is the word that's thrown around all the time now. Systemic power structures behind every problem in society. I propose to you that is absolutely not the biblical answer. Are there some systemic things? Are there oppressors and the oppressed? The answer is, of course there are. There are white supremacists and there are radical black groups. You name it, it doesn't matter. There are groups. But that is not the biblical answer, and that's not the biblical bottom line problem. We're going to see that it's actually sin. And here's where it really gets bad. They say, well, we're against racism and against all these other things. The problem is, if you buy into critical theory, what happens is only those that are designated as oppressed groups have the authority to speak on any issue. Which means, and I'm going to be really blunt with you, what Dave and I are going to talk about today makes us part of the oppressor group. Because ultimately, if you don't know this yet, biblical principle, and Dave's going to say this in his own way later, are a part of hate speech. You think about it. When you tell somebody they're a sinner and they need Christ and there's no other way to heaven, you become a part of hate speech. That's how bad this goes. So you, you're starting to think in your mind right now, I've heard this stuff, but I never heard these terms. Well, you have. It's been around for a long time. The oppressed groups include, and by the way, this is only a sample. Race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, social class, religion, disability, physical appearance, citizenship, status, think, immigration or illegal immigration, think in that direction, poverty, and many, many other uh, things that can be included here. So in other words, if you fit one of those, you are by definition an oppressor, uh, uh, oppressed people. On the other hand, Dave and I are oppressors. You know why? 
We are white, we're American citizens, we're male, we're heterosexual, and you can throw a few other things in there. We are, by definition, oppressors. Oh, and by the way, we're Christians. That makes us oppressors. Doesn't matter what we do, we may be the totally most unbiased and unprejudiced people you've ever met, but we are still part of the, the oppressor class. So keep that in mind. If you don't think this is true, look it up for yourself, because I've done the research. Now, critical race theory is a subclass, and you should understand, because race is stuck there in the middle, it's going to have to do with one thing in particular, race, and it also really defines one country and the, the law in one country. That's the U.S. We are the great oppressors. If you don't believe that, look around, listen to the news, uh, and you're going to find out that what I'm telling you is true. Again, it's systemic societal power that the, the, in, uh, the inequities are basically toward race, and the law is prejudice against anyone of color or anyone that's out of what we would call conservative, that we would call normal, like any of those things, that's, that's what it relates to. Racism, according to them, is present in every aspect of life. It rejects white ideas as self-interest. Here's how it goes. Is you are white, and even if you do something, to help someone of color. For example, the Zimmermans would be classed in this. Sorry to say that, but that's, that's how it works. Is you're doing it because it just makes you feel good. And all of you that are sponsoring it, you're just doing that because these are normally colored people, but, uh, of people of color, and you're doing that just because it makes you feel good. You only do something good for someone who's not like you because you get something out of it. Totally an unbiblical uh, way of looking at life. And the whole idea, there is no objective standard. Whatever they say has to be true. For example, I went on YouTube as I, a few weeks ago when I first started studying for this sermon, and I have put in way a lot of time. I pulled something up, and I had no idea what it was pulling up, and I thought it was going to be something really bogus. Here it was a professor from an evangelical fundamental type seminary, and he was spelling out a lot of the things I'm going to tell you, uh, Dave and I are going to talk about. He was spelling them out saying, here's the facts. And he based it on facts and all that. So a couple, a couple of days later, I came home for lunch and I said, you know what, I'm going to check out something else. So I pulled it up and it was a guy speaking and he was saying just the opposite. But you know what? He wasn't basing it on facts. He was telling stories. So an individual story here, an individual story there, and that is all that matters. It's not based on reality necessarily. That person's reality, the way they see it. So the ultimate standard becomes subjective. And, and that's the bottom line. And this one here, Dave is going to make some uh, comments on. But you've heard the term microaggression. I've always laughed at it because I'm like, if it's micro, how in the world do you even know it exists? But uh, this is little things you do every day. You're being offensive and you're being an oppressor. So I want to back up a little bit and talk about uh, two executive orders that uh, President Trump signed uh, last year. The first 
created the, what was called the 1776 Commission. It was a commission that was charged with uh, researching uh, how American history is taught um, and making sure that the history that's being taught is taught fairly and accurately. And in December, it issued a, uh, about a 40-page report that provided recommendations and so forth. The second executive order that the president signed uh, prohibited any federal government agency from doing training based in these theories. Uh, there was so much controversy about uh, these theories that, that the president said he didn't want government agencies doing this until they could do more studies and research. Just Dave, last week... Dave, can I, mm -hmm. I, I, I've got, a, got ahead of myself. The reason that I actually started studying this subject is because the biggest Protestant denomination in the United States, the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, they had some professors who wrote a statement and said critical race theory, critical uh, theory, and intersectionality uh, are not biblical. They do not meet biblical standards, and they got all kinds of blowback from uh, people in the denomination, and then they reneged on it and said, well, you know, and they backed off. And that's what got me started. And then others here said, hey, I'm being taught this in the workplace, and I've heard about it in schools and colleges forever. Sorry, Dave, but I forgot to do that. That goes with the one he just did. No, that's good context for that. And then last week, um, literally on the first day on the job, President Biden uh, uh, issued executive orders that rescinded both of those orders. It rescinded and abolished the 1776 Commission. It rejected the report completely out of hand, without review, without direction. And it also reinstated the, the, the trainings in federal government agencies. So um, that's where we stand right now with the transition from one administration to the other. Looking at microaggression, the uh, practical way of looking at that, and the m most important example I can use are words. Words in these days are really what are considered to be some of the, the worst microaggressions. Um, we've seen it for years uh, in, in, at colleges and universities. They've developed speech codes um, where you can, there's only certain things that you can or cannot say. It's even gotten more micro than that, that there are certain words you cannot use. Um, um, and, and if you thought it couldn't get any higher than colleges and universities, well, uh, when the Congress reorganized on January 3rd, the U.S. House of Representatives, as it does every two years, uh, adopted a new set of rules governing how the, the chamber would be run. And normally these are pretty basic rules that, about procedure. However, this year they put language in there that specifically prohibits, with repercussions for failing to abide by them, abolished all gender-related words. And this is on the floor of the U.S. House. So these are our members of Congress. They are now not allowed to use uh, uh, mother or father, has to be replaced by parent, brother or sister, replaced by sibling, he or she, and other any gender-related words are now prohibited on the floor of the United States House of Representatives by rules that were adopted by the majority uh, members of the House. That's what we're seeing. So it's already now at the highest levels of government, in addition to colleges and universities, the workforce. It's expanding rapidly. Now, as you know, this is not new to you. You just may not know what the, the basic uh, behind it is. Intersectionality is a version of this. It's actually a 
feminist version of this, but it goes a step further than critical theory or critical race theory because it says, <clears throat> in essence, and I'll make this quick, that you can be a part of more than one oppressed group. In fact, is it says you can also be a part of an oppressed group and part of an oppressor group, oppressor group at the same time. But you could be uh, in an oppressed group. So, for example, uh, if you're a, a, a male of color, you're in an oppressed group. If you're a female of color, you're now in two oppressor oppressed groups because you're. A, a person of color, you're a female, and let's say you're a lesbian. Now you're a member of three oppressed classes. And the more classes that you can claim, I call it victimization, the more victimizations and the more disadvantages you have, the more moral authority you have, and the less responsibility you have for your actions or you're less accountable. That's how this whole thing works. Here, I'll show you a second. Is a person is oppressed by overlapping and a, a, a number of inequities, race, gender, etc. I already gave you an illustration. The more of these you have, the moral, more moral authority you have. The radical edge of this stuff. This is the one that gets preachers in trouble. The really, really, really radical edge of this is if you're poor, you're black, you live in the inner city, you can burn the city down, you can take over the city, and they're not going to do much. Why? Because they have moral authority, and if you go in and say, this is not good, you're now really an oppressor. That's how this whole thing works and the more valuable your opinion is. And, <clears throat> you, and you have less accountability for your situation or your actions. I know this sounds radical. I know it sounds really harsh, but it is what is behind a lot of what you see today and when you think about it. And this last one is the one, and I, I was surprised. I thought everybody heard this word. Who knows what wokeness means? Okay, there's more in this. Okay, you, you need to know what wokeness means. Because uh, I'm not woke. I'm an oppressor, okay, by definition. But oppressors uh, gain moral authority by surrendering to the will of those who are oppressed. You're woke. You now understand their plight, and no matter why they're in a different class or a, have a disadvantage, if you empathize with them, by the way, there are reasons to empathize with them. N none of this is all cut and dry. You need to deal with it the way the Bible does. It deals with individuals, not a broad brush. So, and, and that's my last illustration for the whole sermon. I'm going to show you a biblical illustration of how this works. But, so, if... Uh, Somebody is really radical and they're saying you can't use, you know, gender pronouns. Uh, you know, if, if you go, oh, I totally understand that. I will never use a gender pronoun again. You're woke because you get it. You woke up and you understand all this oppression. And you're actually buying into this two classes 
uh, philosophy that, that there is. So that's where it's at. Uh, that's where this is at. So again, this is the really boiled down explanations. Look it up for yourself. Uh, I always tell you that. Uh, don't take my word for it. But is there anything that you'd like to add to that, Dave? Yeah, in, in, in principle, when you look at intersectionalities uh, and critical race theory and so forth, really uh, the biggest danger it, it poses, and, it, and it's intentional, uh, is that it's, a, it's used as a way of silencing all opposing points of view, when you think about it. If you have a point of view on any issue that's impacting an oppressed class and you express it, um, you're at risk of being silenced or canceled in today's culture. So how will this play out in terms of, of policies, you know, looking, moving forward in the country? Well, many of you have heard the term reparations before. It's, it's a term that's been used for decades. In fact, back in, I think it was either the late 90s or early 2000s, Congress approved reparation payments to uh, the descendants of Japanese Americans who were uh, put in internment camps during World War II. So it's, it's, the issue of reparations has been around. Historically, reparations in, in terms of, of slavery have been direct payments to descendants of, of slaves. Uh, but that has never really gained any traction in society. It, it, it was not something that, you know, polled very well. Politicians ran away from it. Um, but now what, they, what we're seeing is they're, they're changing the dynamics of what reparations are about. Rather than them be direct government payments to individuals, they're talking about making uh, direct government payments to organizations that support racial justice. So think Southern Poverty Law Center, think NAACP, think Black Lives Matters. Those organizations are the ones that would now receive the direct government taxpayer payments um, as a way of making amends, so to speak. Um, but I think, and, and we had talked before, who are some of the individuals? Do you want to lead into that? I was going to say, you, as I mentioned, you can be a part of the oppressed class, for example, a black man. On the other hand, you can be an oppressor, and here's how that works. Give, some, give us some illustrations. I'll Absolutely. Maybe you think of uh, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Um, he, his background is he came from a very poor background um, and basically worked his way up to the highest court in the land, um, where he's now served for, for over 30 years. Um, he has been criticized. He's faced criticism since day one. Um, you look at someone like a U.S. Senator Tim Scott. He's the first... Uh, person of color that the state of South Carolina has ever elected to Congress, um, or at least elected to the Senate. Um, look at Dr. Ben Carson. Dr. Carson, even before he became Secretary of Health and Human Services, was a world-renowned neurosurgeon. He performed the first surgeries in a number of different areas. Um, the backlash he has faced. It even carries into the world of, for example, sports. Those of you who are football fans will certainly recognize the name Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker was a Heisman Trophy winner, a very successful NFL player, um, but he has come out opposed to a lot of this critical race theory. He's conservative, he's Christian, and he has just been absolutely lambasted um, in the media and by others who don't like what he has to say, even though he himself is a person of color, as are the other individuals. 
the, the reason that is, is because if you are painted as a part of the oppressed class, you are automatically a victim and you can't do anything about it. And so uh, others have to be woke to that plight. The Bible absolutely does not teach that uh, in any way, shape, or form. And uh, Dave, maybe you want to just approach a few other Mm -hmm. things, and then uh, we'll take the the end of the sermon, and we will absolutely look at the biblical principles to make sure that you go, oh, you guys are up there just giving opinion. No, that is not what we're doing. If you think that, you haven't listened. I will show you why what we're saying is these things are just totally unbiblical. There are four areas in our country today I think we really have to pay attention to with with regard to this. First of all is is the Constitution. And I think of that hymn, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, the U.S. Constitution is the foundation of our country. It is the document that laid forth the provisions that established this country. Um, It is becoming under attack because it does not reflect what these theories are talking about. It was written by people who would be considered oppressors. So we have to be mindful of that, pay particular attention to the Supreme Court, um, as the Supreme Court is where a lot of this is going to play out. Um, Secondly, constitutional freedoms. I would argue that um, freedom of speech, we've seen with speech codes and and some of these uh, freedom of speech is under attack. Where we really have to be careful is uh, the free exercise clause. Because as, as Pastor Paul alluded to earlier, if they can ever label the preaching of the gospel or the teaching of biblical principles as hate speech, it's game over. Yep. At that point, we've got serious problems. So be mindful of that. Public education, and I talked with my, my friend Chris Etter about it earlier today, it's, it's, critical race theory is becoming part of school curriculums. Now, many of us who've been around a while, when we were in school, we were taught how to think not what to think. It's flipped on its head today. Students are coming out not learning how to analyze, synthesize, and evaluate certain things. They're being told what to think. And if you don't think that way, well, you're part of the problem. So public education. Um, And then finally, even the economy. Look at how our economy is being governed. There's a member of Congress that's now pushing for a $23 per hour minimum wage. Now, he argues that that will lift a million people from poverty. He's probably right, but at the same time, and he won't tell you this, it will put three million more people into poverty. Hence, we get to the class that Pastor Paul alluded to. So these are concerns just to keep on your radar. If you haven't figured some of this out, it's not practical, it's not common sense, and it is the politically correct culture if you didn't think about it. So let's look at what the Bible says. I already alluded to some things at the very beginning, but let's look at what the Bible says. The Bible does not class us in groups. We don't belong to one group or the other. We belong to one group. I've used Proverbs 22. I could have used Genesis chapter 1. I could use Acts chapter 17 because both of those places say we were created in the image of God. We were, and you're going to notice the word equally in all of my points here, we were equally created. 
We were created in the image of the Almighty God, and the image of God doesn't mean we look like God. He's pure spirit. We were created with the ability to think and reason, what Dave was talking about. We have the ability to have feelings and sensibilities and desires, just like God does. He hates sin, loves, loves people. Uh, and we have the ability to carry that out. We have a will. So does God. God has a will. So do we. We were created with those things. That makes it possible for us to change our lives. And that does not paint us with a broad brush into one group or the other. Period. Proverbs 22, and I like Proverbs in this subject because it's so practical. The rich and the poor have a common bond. You know, that's the oppressed and the oppressor. The Lord is the maker of all of them. Yeah, God created us all. You talk about division today, and people talk about division. You want to know where it comes from? I can show you the roots. We just talked about them. Didn't come from the Bible. Didn't come from Christians, even though you're going to be seen as divisive. I'm warning you, it's already true. I understand that. That's already true. But it, Dave said, it can get worse. We need to be very, very careful. The second thing is, we are all equally separated from God. We are all equally sinners. That means if you're a part of the oppressed group, that they call it, or the oppressor group, all people are sinners, which means they do wrong things. They are against God. It causes divisions, but the root cause is not oppression or oppressor. It is all people are sinners, and they all do horrible, rotten, no good, nasty things. I don't care who you are and what group you supposedly uh, find yourself in. And so it is the, the cause is sin, not my state in life, my class in life, my position in life. Proverbs says it this way, because a lot of people, and you might be still sitting there going, but you know what, some of this inequality, hey, that's a, and, and there's more on your sheet. Uh, some of this inequality is real. I will totally agree with you. There are white supremacists. There are radical black people. There are, you name it, people that have been oppressed and are very poor. And people who have been oppressors and are very rich. The Bible says there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is death. Guess what? We are individually, personally responsible. And any man-made solution, and these are these philosophies are man-made solutions to a spiritual problem. The only solution is a God-made solution. We're all equally created by God and equal before Him. We are all equally sinners. We know what the root problem is. It's not class warfare. It's sin. And we all are equally in need of a Redeemer. Salvation. We need to be saved from ourselves and from each other. But we need to first and foremost have our sin forgiven. I like Proverbs. This is a verse I've never used before in a sermon. The poor man and the oppressor, even uses our, our word that we're using here this morning, have this in common. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both of them. So you know what? No matter what class you are, you're a billionaire or you're dirt poor, you need 
Jesus. <laughs> you're a man or a woman, you need Jesus. You're a Jew or a Gentile, you're black or white or green or whatever you are, you need Jesus. You need redemption. That's the solution. Folks, if you wonder why we get excited about missions and outreach and evangelism and those kinds of things at Garden Chapel, you know why. Because that is the only way we combat this division and this horrible stuff that's going on around us. Now is the time. Today is the accepted day. Could get worse. I'm not going to tell you it won't. It probably will. I'm not a prophet, and I'm not making prophecy. I'm just saying, it's probably, it's not going to get better on its own. How's that? that? That'll cover it all. We need to present the gospel. Why? Because God created us, and we have to answer to God. We have sinned, and we have, are separated from God, and when we're separated from God, everything else gets messed up. And so we have that division and that infighting and all that kind of stuff. And we all have a solution. You see, all of these theories would say the solution is activism. Now, I'm not against all activism. Understand that. But it's not the solution. It's definitely not the final solution. The final solution is the gospel. See, God has to open the eyes, give light to the eyes of all people. And he alone does that. We go back to Romans chapter 1 verse 16 many times, and rightly so. Because the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the gospel. It's the good news. It is the solution. It says it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And it's like the Bible was written for this sermon. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. He says, hey, there's two classes of people in the world. There's Jews and everybody else. He says it's for everybody. Doesn't matter who you are. That is the bottom line. Now, you say, okay, can you prove what you and Dave have been talking about in, on the practical from the Bible? The answer is, yes, I can. Look at the very end of your paper. Because uh, I'm using a test case of wealth, poverty, because that's a big one that is used in this critical theory stuff. Well, you're poor, and if you're poor, it's because somebody misused you, abused you, and oppressed you. Well, that is true. That can and does happen. No doubt about it. Slavery would be a good example of that. But the Bible says, and we started with Leviticus 19.15, it says, you know what? You're not partial to anyone. You don't defer to anyone. You look at everyone for right where they are and who they are and, and what their situation is. So let's go down a list. Jesus said, you always have the poor with you. There will always be discrepancies among people as to what they have. For whatever reason, it doesn't matter. Jesus said, I'll cut through it all. There will always be people that are poorer or richer than other people. It's just the way it is. So Jesus kind of cut through the whole thing. But Proverbs, and we're going back to Proverbs, poor is he who works with a negligent hand. So if you're lazy, you're probably not going to be rich. In fact, is, it doesn't stop there. It says, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. If you're unwilling to work and you're unwilling to take initiative, let's face it, 
Ben Carson was raised by a single mom in poverty who insisted that he gets an education and goes forward. And, and you can look at a lot of the rest of them. They didn't go, I'm a part of a depressed class, I'm a victim, and oh, by the way, you need to be a victim too, so don't expect that you can do anything in the world. That's totally bogus. The Bible says, no, anyone, whoever you are, by the way, if you're rich and you're negligent, you're going to lose your money. Well, we get to that one next. It says, he who loves pleasure will become a poor man. And it goes on to say, wine and oil will make you poor. You'll never become rich. Why? Because whatever you have, your resources, you spend it on wine, women's song, drugs, alcohol, expensive things. You know what? You've wasted your money. You gambled it away. Whatever it is. So all poor people are not equally poor for the same reason. Could be lazy. Could be you misuse your money. Could be because somebody oppressed you. That's true. Okay, we never want to get away from that. You're going to see what I'm going to say next. It says in verse 11 of chapter 28, the rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor has understanding sees through him. You know what? Whatever class you're in has nothing to do with how wise you are. There are lots of poor people who are a whole lot wiser than people who got it made and got everything. See, God doesn't look at a class. He looks at what do you do? What do you do with what you know? Somebody that knows the truth and doesn't put it into practice, he's still a fool. But it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or male or female or what race you are. If you put things that are true into practice, you're a wise person. You see how this cuts through all of this, this stuff? I was going to call it garbage. That would be saying too nicely because it's just dead wrong. Proverbs 14.31, it says, If God has blessed you, and you do indeed have resources and money and position and power and all those things, nobody is pressuring you, but God says you have responsibility. Whether you're poor or rich, you have responsibility. If you're rich, you have, according to this, you have a responsibility to look around and say, how can I help? If you've trusted Christ, you're a rich person. If you're an American, you're a rich person. I've been in other countries. It's bad. Poverty is real poverty there. Here, if you're a little bit in poverty, the government is most likely going to kick in. But you know what? If you have resources, God says, be accountable, be responsible. I blessed you, turn around and bless somebody else. And if you have the gospel, you have the biggest blessing and the biggest plus that you can give to other people. Because the gospel frees people from sin and from wrong thinking and a whole lot of other things. That's why I never apologize for missions and outreach and those kinds of things. Because we know we have the greatest resource in all the world. Jesus Christ and his gospel. That's what we have. We need to use it. And let's face it, most of us have resources. I am so glad that we had the, the three projects. I kind of thought it was kind of crazy doing three projects for Christmas. But man, oh man, the, the way you folks 
responded is astounding. I believe you're, you're practicing this. It's a great thing. And then it says, and the last one I'm going to look at is, he who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. Notice what it said. The whole idea here is that if I use what God has given me, not because somebody's forcing me, but because I make a choice for, because I believe what God, that what I have is God-given, I turn around and I am gracious to somebody poor. It's not only helping that person, but here's the bottom line. It says that you are lending to the Lord. Think about that. This is not a secular thing and I'm just going to help somebody that's poor. It's like, no, I am doing my duty. My responsibility as a believer in using what God has given me to help somebody else. And God says, the way you do that, you've done it to me. He says that in the New Testament all. As much as you've done it to the least of my brethren, you've done it unto me. This is the Old Testament version of that. So the, the whole thing is, is there real oppression and real people that think they're better than somebody else? The answer is, of course that's true. But is that the only reason? No, this is a broad brush approach that is totally secular, it's Marxist, it is divisionary, it is all of those things and worse. And God says, you, if you've trusted Christ, if you haven't trusted Christ, that, that's where you need to start. But if you've trusted Christ, you have resources above and beyond, and God says, okay, Paul, I've shown you what you, can, what you have. Last night, my not a... a Press people or people that don't know Christ, by the way, they're in big trouble. You want to you know a class that's really in big trouble? It's unbelievers. Last night, my wife and I had the, the privilege of sitting down for several hours and talking to someone, sharing the gospel, sharing the word of God um, over and over again. You know what? It's the best thing I could ever do for those people. Best thing my wife could ever do for those people. And she went out of her way and made a really nice meal. You know what? We have the resources to do it. Use it. I don't know what you're going to do or what God wants you to do. But don't buy this theory. It leads nowhere. But do what God said. Use what you have for the good of other people. Don't be prejudiced. Don't be racist. Don't be any of those things. But use what God has given you for good. Why? because you're ultimately doing it for him. Let's all stand together as we close. Father, thank you so much that the word of God, even though it's written thousands of years ago, almost sounds like it was written just for right now where we are. Lord, it's always that way. You knew exactly where this goes. You knew what the world is like. You knew what sin is like. And you knew that all people needed a savior. Thank you that we have that good news. Thank you that we have resources. And Lord, I pray that we would always use what you have given us for your glory and for the good of others. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go with God.